Blog Talk Radio. The B I B I L E, that's the book for me. The B I B I L E, that's the book for me. following sermon is by John MacArthur, pastor, author, and Bible teacher with Grace to You. If you have never contacted Grace to You, we want to send you a free booklet by John called Found God's Peace. It will show you the power you have as a believer to defeat worry and to experience profound peace in every circumstance. Request your free booklet by writing to peace at gty.org. That's peace at gty.org. This offer is good in North America and Europe through December 2021. And now, unleashing God's truth one verse at a time, here's Grace to You Bible teacher John MacArthur. I mentioned to you last week at the beginning of our time in the Word of God that the 
Among all of the disastrous things that are going on in our country and in our world, the thing that disturbed me most was the war on children. Um, It has reached epic proportions in our country. It's nothing new, I might say. There has always been, on the part of Satan and the kingdom of darkness, an effort to destroy children, to bring them so close to the darkness that they could never see the light. They are the most defenseless of all humans. And the enemy of our souls is against them. They already have sin built in and are more easily attracted to Him than they are to their Creator, more easily deceived than taught the truth. This then raises to massive proportions the responsibility that the people of God have with regard to children. The creation mandate in Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, reads this way, God created man in His own image. In the image of God He created him. Male and female He created them. God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. God created a man and a woman to produce children. In the third chapter of Genesis came the fall of man and the human race. And God says to the woman, I will greatly multiply your pain in childbirth. The creation mandate wasn't ended. It would continue, but painfully so. In pain, you will bring forth children. Adam called his wife Eve because she was the mother of all the living. Creation mandate was not canceled, but it was severely wounded by sin. So much so that one chapter after the fall in Genesis 3, you come into chapter 4, the first family And you find a brother murdering his own brother. This is as dysfunctional and disruptive as relationships can be when you kill your sibling. Obviously, it didn't take long for the curse to take root in the human heart. From then on, the book of Genesis becomes a chronicle of dysfunctional families and unfaithful marriages and victimized children. From Cain the killer to Lamech the 
first polygamist who was so proud about his polygamy that he wrote a poem to celebrate it. To the days of Noah, when the corruption of life, marriage, and the family was so severe that God drowned the human race with the exception of eight people. Again, just a few chapters after the fall, God destroys the entire human race because of its corruption. Eight were left. And so life started all over again. It didn't last long before God had to judge again at the Tower of Babel. After that comes the story of the dysfunctional marriage between Abraham and Sarah. No model family, by the way, adultery, illegitimate son. Then comes Jacob and Esau constantly in sibling conflict. Then Jacob's sons sell their brother out of jealousy as a slave into Egypt. And the book of Genesis ends in a coffin in Egypt. War in and on the family is pervasive and unmistakable. Family life is hard enough due to human sinfulness and due to the presence of the kingdom of darkness and the prince of the power of the air, Satan himself, It's made even harder because of the collective culture amassing with great force its wickedness and driving it right at marriage and the family. All the forces of sin internally and externally are driven at destroying the family. And obviously that destructive effort is most devastating to the children. As we learned last week from a look at Deuteronomy in the book of Ezekiel, the pagans actually offered their children as human sacrifices to their gods. Shockingly, the children of Abraham followed their idolatrous neighbors and did the same sacrificing their children to false gods. What comes to my mind is that one statement that I gave you last week from Ezekiel 16.21 when God says, My children you slaughtered. My children... He goes so far as to say, they are children born to Me. They belong to Me. God is the Creator of every child. But as they come into the world, they belong to Him. In such a remarkable way that we saw in Mark chapter 10 that Jesus received the little ones, even babies, and said, of such is the kingdom of heaven. They're mine.
They don't know right from wrong. They don't know truth from lies. They don't know God from Satan. They don't know faith from rejection. And until they do, they're His. And should they die, as millions do in that condition, the proof that they are His is that He takes them to heaven. I wrote a book on it called Safe in the Arms of God. best illustration of that is in 2 Samuel 12. David's little baby son born illegitimately out of his adultery with Bathsheba died. The baby died. And David did not mourn. He washed his face. Went on with life. No mourning. Then he said this, He cannot come to me, but I will go to him. He knew that little one was safe in the arms of the God to whom he belonged. A few chapters later, in chapter 18, his adult rebel son, Absalom, died. And the 33rd verse of that 18th chapter says, David was so sorrowful, so sad, so tortured, that he couldn't get over the emotional breakdown. He knew he would see the little son he knew he would never see Absalom. The sacrifice of children, again I say, is nothing new. They are the victims of all the evil that's going on in the world. My grandson Tommy was telling me this morning that he came back from a trip to Haiti and he was in an orphanage just last week. And he said there were about 150 children in that orphanage. They weren't put there by their parents. He said they are the children that are sold by their parents into slavery and rescued by the government and put in an orphanage for their own protection. Today, in our world, people are still selling their children into slavery. We see it at the southern border. Parents sending their defenseless children for some coyote to drop over a wall without any knowledge of what may happen. Sacrificing their children to some hope of a future economic benefit. People are still sacrificing their children today. Though the idols are different, the dominant idol is self. We're seeing in our own culture, in our own country, the stripping away of all religions because religions are authoritative. Religions are external. And we now are living with the internalization of all power, all truth. And consequently, everyone is happy to be his own God. And so children are sacrificed to the gods of self. Parents offer their unborn children to the deadly abortionist as a sacrifice to their freedom and lust, a sacrifice to their desire for pleasure, a sacrifice to their selfishness. Parents sacrifice their born children to the fires of secular education and the God of human knowledge and foolishness 
so their children can profess to be wise while they're ungodly fools just like their teachers. Parents sacrifice their children to the priests of immoral entertainment, to the gods of perversion who are seducing defenseless youth into the darkness and death of homosexuality, transgenderism, pornography. Parents offer their children to the liars who control and abuse them through the media, who are the agents, the high priests of soul corruption. Parents offer up their children to the feminists, the beta males, the woke, the liars, the racists, the deceivers, as a sacrifice to the gods of popular acceptance. And the religious idolatry of our day is destructive particularly to children, but also necessarily to marriages, to fathers and mothers. And their siren calls are everywhere in the ether, like some chemical killer, which then poses the question, how can children be protected? The politicians are on the side of Satan, busy making laws to protect the very realities that destroy children and families. The politicians are criminalizing truth as hate speech to be punished and actually advocating for marriage between a man and a woman could get you fired. Culture is propagating lies incessantly and censoring and canceling the truth. I've told you this before, and I remind you of it. Whatever they don't want you to know is very likely the truth. So let's go back and repose the question. How do we protect the children? Well, let's start at the very beginning. Number one, marriage is life's primary blessing. Peter calls it the grace of life. Marriage is life's primary blessing. If you're still in Genesis, you remember what I just read. That the gift of life is given and then immediately God declares, chapter 2, verse 18, it's not good for the man to be alone. I'll make him a helper suitable for him. Down in verse 21, So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and he slept. Took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh at that place. The Lord God fashioned into a woman the rib which he had taken from the man and brought her to the man. The man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. This is the grace of life. Jesus performed His first miracle at a wedding. It's not good for us to be alone. We need a partner. 
In Ephesians chapter 5, the partnership between a husband and a wife is a picture of Christ's relation to His church. Marriage is life's primary blessing. And I say that, it should be obvious, but to remind some of you who continue to push marriage off into some nebulous tomorrow, you are missing the grace of life. Marriage is life's primary blessing. Second thing to say, children are a blessing. Children are a blessing. Not dogs. Please. No canine is a substitute for a child. Genesis 29, verse 31. The Lord saw that Leah, Jacob's wife, was unloved, and he opened her womb. And Rachel was barren. Leah conceived and bore a son and named him Reuben. For she said, Because the Lord has seen my affliction, surely now my husband will love me. She conceived again and bore a son and said, Because the Lord has heard that I am unloved, he has therefore given me this son also. So she named him Simeon. She conceived again and bore a son and said, Now this time my husband will become attached to me because I have borne him three sons. Therefore he was named Levi or Levi. She conceived again and bore a son and said, This time I will praise the Lord. You think she was blessed by those boys? She felt like it was critical for her husband's love, that it was a blessing from heaven. In Deuteronomy chapter 7, just to emphasize this point, Verse 12, promises of God here, it will come about because you listen to these judgments and keep and do them, that the Lord your God will keep with you His covenant, His loving kindness, which He swore to your forefathers. Listen to this. He will love you and bless you and multiply you. He will also bless the fruit of your womb fruit of your womb. It's a blessing. Blessing from heaven to have children. In Ruth chapter 4, verse 13, Boaz took Ruth. You remember the story. She became his wife and he went into her and the Lord enabled her to conceive. And she gave birth to a son. Every conception, every child is a creation of God. Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed is the Lord who has not left you without a Redeemer today. That child was a Redeemer. Redeeming the mother from barrenness. 
May He also be to you a restorer of life and a sustainer of your old age. That is particularly becoming important to me. <laughs> I have children who are about to have to take care of me. <laughs> what a blessing children are. It's incomprehensible. There are no words to describe how much I love my children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren. They are my life. In Psalm 113, the psalmist says, Praise the Lord. Praise, O servants of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. From this time forth and forever, from the rising of the sun to its setting, the name of the Lord is to be praised. The Lord is high above all nations. This is just pouring out praise. And then at the end of Psalm 113 and verse 9, he says, He makes the barren woman abide in the house as a joyful mother of children. Praise the Lord. Children are not an intrusion. They are a blessing from heaven. Psalm 115, verse 14. This is calling for blessing. May the Lord give you increase, you and your children. May you be blessed of the Lord, Maker of heaven and earth. May the Lord pour out generational blessing on you and your children. And Psalm 127 Verses 3 through 5. Behold, children are a gift of the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. How blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. They will not be ashamed when they speak with their enemies in the gate. Children are a gift from the Lord. Look at the next Psalm, Psalm 128. How blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in His ways. When you shall eat of the fruit of your hands, you will be happy and it will be well with you. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house, your children like olive plants around your table. Behold, for thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. This culture seems to think children are interfering with the plans of adults. But from God's perspective, they are a heavenly blessing. So marriage is life's primary blessing. Children are a blessing. Third thing I want to establish as a foundation is that parenting is a blessing. Parenting is a blessing. It is a blessing to parent because if children are not properly parented, they are a problem. And nobody is particularly blessed. <laughs> Parenting is a blessing. Not just producing children, but producing children who become responsible adults. Proverbs 10.1 says, A wise son makes a father glad. Proverbs 29.17 Correct your son and he will give you rest. 
Did you get that? Correct your son and he will give you rest. Yes, he will give delight to your soul. Parenting is the process of instructing with consequences. Look to the book of Proverbs, chapter 13, and verse 24. He who withholds his rod hates his son. But he who loves him disciplines him diligently. So you've got a little reprobate. It's a beautiful, adorable little reprobate in your house who is not going to be a blessing to anybody unless parenting is done according to God's design. And the instrument is a rod. What that means is that God intends you to inflict pain as a consequence immediately on misconduct. That's how you train. Chapter 19 of Proverbs and verse 18, Discipline your son while there is hope and do not desire his death. Hmm. Are those the alternatives? Either discipline your son or... You're going to send him on a pathway to death? Yes. Because remember, he's fallen, he's deceitful above all things, his heart is desperately wicked. And as a child, and as a young person, he is defenseless, immature, lacking judgment, discretion, wisdom, uncorrected, he's on the fast track to death. Proverbs 22.15 Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. It's just natural. I can remember my grandmother saying to me, why would you do a stupid thing like that? <laughs> now if I'd have known at the time, I would say to fulfill biblical theology. <laughs> why else would I do it? I'm trying to demonstrate the Bible is true. You doubt the truth of the Bible? Look at my stupidity. That ought to be evidence enough. At the time, I didn't really think about that. <laughs> Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. The rod of discipline will remove it far from him. What a great promise, isn't it? It'll remove it far from him. It'll, it'll send foolishness away when misbehavior of any kind has painful consequences. Proverbs 23, verse 13. Do not hold back the discipline from the child. Although you strike him with the rod, he will not die. You shall strike him with the rod and rescue his soul from Sheol. Again, the alternative is discipline or death. Because an unruly child, a child out of control is on the short path to dying. That's why back in the book of Exodus, the Word of God says, if you obey and honor your parents, you'll live a long life. It's axiomatic. In chapter 24 of Proverbs, 
and verse 15, Do not lie in wait, O wicked man, against the dwelling of the righteous. Do not destroy his resting place. That's such an interesting thing. The home is like a castle to be conquered by the wicked. Your protection of that domain is critical. One more text over in chapter 29 and verse 15. The rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child who gets his own way brings shame to his mother. Did you get that? That's really not difficult to understand. A child who gets his own way brings shame to his mother. Because the way of a child is what? Foolish, ignorant, naive. As a parent, you have to understand, you are a dominating force. And God intended you to be the dominating force and the dominating influence. And you have to minimize all other competing influences. Influences from the world, friends, school, media. And in this culture, you have to fight for the dominance of your influence. As we saw back in Deuteronomy 6 last week, you are to teach your children diligently to love the Lord their God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. This is your calling. And parenting is a blessing. Good parenting is not only a blessing to a mother, Eliminating shame, not only a blessing to a father making his heart glad, but a blessing to everybody else who has to deal with your children. And it is, most importantly, a blessing to the child because it puts him on a path of life and not a path of death. Now, the New Testament adds some richness to this. Uh, Look at Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. I'm just going to read the opening four verses and we'll begin to make some comments about this. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. This is for the children to acknowledge the dominating power of the parents in the home over their foolishness. And their desperate need for wisdom. Obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Do it because it's right. That's the, um, the only explanation you need to tell your children. Obey me because it's right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, back in Exodus chapter 20, verse 12 so that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. And there we are again with that same reality that parenting produces a long life. That's axiomatic. It doesn't mean that in every single case, if you're a good parent, your child's going to live 
uh, to old age, but, but as a general reality, your children who are well-disciplined and who follow the path of wisdom, who honor you and obey you, are able to live a full life and they avoid the path of death. And then in verse 4, fathers or parents. Patera could be a reference to parents as well. Do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. The New Testament sums up everything about parenting in one verse. One verse. First of all, in the first three verses, you have the submission of children. Obey and honor. So what do you want to teach your children to do? Obey and what? And honor you. If you want honor from them, deserve it by your character. If you want obedience from them, make it sensible and reasonable and enforce it with consequences that they want to avoid. It is essential to train a child with instruction and discipline so that the child can enjoy the promise of a blessed life. That's why I'm saying parenting is a blessing to the child and everybody who who comes around that child. I'm drawn one more time to the book of Proverbs in chapter 4. Hear, O sons, the instruction of a father. Give attention that you may gain understanding, for I give you sound teaching and do not abandon my instruction When I was a son to my father, tender and the only son in the sight of my mother, then he taught me and he said to me, let your heart hold fast my words, keep my commandments and live. This is a father commanding a son. Acquire wisdom. Acquire understanding. Get that in place of your natural foolishness. Do not forget or turn away from the words of my mouth. That is the role of the parent. Over in chapter 4, verse 10, Hear my son and accept my sayings, and the years of your life will be many. Again, this is not a guarantee of a certain amount of decades of life. This is simply saying a child who learns wisdom is on the path of life rather than the direct route to death. I have directed you in the way of wisdom. I have led you in upright paths. When you walk, your steps will not be impeded. If you run, you will not stumble. Take hold of instruction. Do not let go. Guard her, for she is your life. Do not enter the path of the wicked. Do not proceed in the way of evil men. Avoid it. Do not pass by it. Turn away from it. Pass on. For they cannot sleep until they do evil. They are robbed of sleep unless they make someone stumble. For they eat the bread of wickedness and drink the wine of violence but the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn that shines brighter and brighter until the full day. You know, when you have the privilege of watching your children who are in Christ bring into the world that next generation, your grandchildren, and you see how bright the pathway becomes with each new generation, Patricia and I now seeing great-grandchildren who are being raised in the instruction and discipline of the Lord. The joy is incomprehensible. 
children have the potential to create the greatest heartbreak and the greatest joy. We all know that, don't we? It's not to say that you have the power to save your child. That's, that's not yours to do. That's God's. This is not some kind of determinism. Proverbs 22.6, bring up a child and the way he should go and when he's old he won't depart from it. is isn't a guarantee of salvation. It's an axiom that says children become what you raise them to become. You can't determine their salvation. You don't have that much responsibility, but neither can you fatalistically ignore your responsibility and say, oh well, God's going to do what He's going to do. Because God does His work through instruments. And parents are those instruments. Train your child to honor you and obey you. Look, life is deadly dangerous to children. Deadly dangerous. And if they get to the age where they become accountable to God and they haven't been parented in the instruction and discipline of the things of the Lord, then life becomes even more dangerous. Because there's a shift in their eternal destiny. In Carthage, which was conquered by Rome in about the 2nd century A.D., Carthage was a major city from about 800 B.C. to the 2nd century A.D., Some research has been done through the years by people at Oxford University who have discovered that the Carthaginians were big on child sacrifice. Male and female children were tortured first and then consumed in fires called tophets. Artifacts of these kinds of fires have been found in places like Sicily, Malta, Sardinia, the islands around Italy. It's interesting to read some of the ancient Greek literature at that time and to find out that there is no evidence that the Greeks or the Romans were ever critical of that kind of behavior. Which means then that in Paul's day, there was indifference toward what happened to children. There was a law in Rome called Patria Potestas. Patria Potestas means the father's power. Father, by Roman law, had absolute power over his children. He could sell them into slavery, and that was very common. He could make them workers in the fields, even in chains. He could take the law into his own hands and punish them. There was no law against child abuse. He even had the right to kill his children. And he had that right as long as he was alive, no matter how old they were. When a child is born, we have evidence that a child just being born would be brought to the father. If the father stooped and lifted up the child, it meant he acknowledged the child and he wished the child to live. If the father turned and walked away, it meant that he rejected the child and the child was killed or sold. 
unwanted children were just taken into the Roman Forum and turned loose and would be collected at night by people who made them into slaves or stocked the prostitute brothels with them in Rome. Seneca, the famous Roman writer, said, I quote, We slaughter a fierce dog, a fierce ox rather, we strangle a mad dog, we plunge the knife into the sick cattle, children who are born weak and deformed, we drown. Again, very dangerous place for children. And what the Lord asks of us as parents is summed up in that one verse, the verse that I left you a moment ago, verse 4, Ephesians 6, Do not provoke your children to anger. Bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. There's a lot to that. And I, I want to be careful to help you to understand what that means. So that's going to be the subject of our discussion next week. We'll get a little advance on this chapter. But let me maybe give you some hints to think about. One father summed it up like this. If I were starting my parenting again, this is what I would do. I would love my wife more in front of my children. I would laugh at my children more at our mistakes. I would listen more even to the littlest child. I would be more honest about my own weaknesses, never pretending perfection. I would pray differently for my family. Rather than focusing on them, I'd focus on me. I would do more things together with my children. I would do more encouraging. I would do more instruction from the Word of God. I would pay more attention to little things, deeds, and words. I would share the Gospel more intensely out of every possible opportunity every day that God gave me. That's some wisdom in that, isn't there? They're little sinners when they arrive. Adorable, but sinful. You don't spend your time constantly saying to a child, yes, yes, yes. I don't think so. You say, no, no, no. So that's a hint. But in spite of that, they are gods, right? And you're the steward. They belong to the kingdom of heaven. Don't allow them to be exposed to, the, exposed to the dangers of this world. It's not easy in this culture. Because as I said earlier, the, the, the murderous influences are in the ether. They're everywhere accessible and deadly to children. Grace Church understands this. I understand this. And Grace Church is committed with all our hearts to helping you make parenting a blessing. That's why we're here.
And our prayer is that those precious little ones will grow up so that when they do understand the difference between right and wrong, truth and lies, God and Satan, they can understand the Gospel. They will embrace Christ. We're here to help you with that. But you have to be committed as well. The highest joy in life, marriage, children, parenting, and at the end of the parenting, a mother with no shame and a father with a glad heart. This is the promise of the Word of God to those who are faithful. This culture is not going to protect your children. This society is going to do everything they can to destroy your children. You don't need to do this alone. We're here. And the Lord will give you grace and we'll provide resources. And I believe somebody said to me, watching my little great-grandson run across this, take his first little jaunt across the church campus. I think he was 14 months old. Somebody said, it's too bad he was born for this hour. And I said, no, this is his hour. This is his hour. He came to the kingdom for such an hour as this. This is his time. God knows, right? This, this, this wretched culture needs the next generation to be virtuous, godly, and wise. And it's in our hands to make that investment together. Father, we thank You for the promise that You've given us that if children are taught wisdom and righteousness and virtue, and if they learn to obey and honor their parents, they will find the path of life. And then if they come to Christ, they will find the path of eternal life. Lord, help us to have the consistency, the strength, the love of You and our children to bring them up in the instruction and discipline that is provided for us in the divine revelation of Holy Scripture. Save the children. Lord, save them from the deadly dangers of this time. Thank You for rescuing them when they die before they are even aware of spiritual realities. Thank You for taking them to glory with You. But we know, Lord, that those who live will have so many influences. May they be programmed from the earliest years in divine truth and wisdom. And may they see the joy of gospel transformation in their parents and grandparents and families. We ask, Lord, that You would raise up this generation of children that You have given to us to be instruments of gospel change in the world. This is Your time, this is our time, and this is their time. May we steward well the precious lives we hold in our hands. For Your glory we pray. Amen. You've been listening to John MacArthur, Bible Teacher with Grace to You. 
For free access to all of John's lessons and a listing of study Bibles and books available for sale, visit Grace to You's website at gty.org. John MacArthur and Grace to You reserve all copyright protection under applicable law. Our copyright policy is available at gty.org, and it includes instructions for and limitations on duplicating this digital file. All right, here we go, kids, gather round. A brand new sound to praise the one who has the crown. In today's lessons, we'll talk about the Holy Bible, the most important book we all need for survival. The Bible is God's message for this world. It's for every man and woman, every boy and girl. And that message is that if we turn to Christ and place our trust in Him, we'll have eternal life. Now, when we're at church, yeah, it's fun, it's cool. When we hear a lot of stories in Sunday school, like Jacob and Noah, Moses and Daniel, David and Jonah, Joseph and Samuel, but all the little stories tell one big story about the God who made all things for his glory. So as we read the Bible, it's important that we see this. There's only one hero, and his name is Jesus. of the Bible, where should we begin? When God made the whole wide world just by speaking. By his great might, he said, let there be light. The light he called day and the dark he called night. He made the earth and the seas, the dirt and the seeds, the herds and the trees, the birds and the bees. But the big surprise God had up his sleeve. On day number six, created Adam and Eve, made in the image of the beautiful Most High. God told them, be fruitful and multiply. Everything's yours, but that tree do not try. Because in the day you eat it, you sure going to die. I'm sure you know the rest. Yes, they failed the test. And ever since then, the world has been a big mess. So as we read the Bible, it's important that we see this. There's only one hero and his name is Jesus. When we read God's word today, the greatest saints have their flaws on full display. And it was written down for us in order that we may recognize that Christ is the only way. Adam ate forbidden fruit and lost his life. Abraham got scared and lied about his wife. Sarah laughed to herself when she heard God's promise. Rebecca encouraged her son to be dishonest. Aaron used crafts to make a golden calf. Moses got mad, struck the rock with a stab. David sinned greatly, even lost his baby. And Jacob, he was just all around shady. The point is not to make light of our flaws, but to show that every one of us needs the cross. So as we read the Bible, it's important that we see this. There's only one hero and his name is Jesus. The Lord of heaven and earth, 
This is Ken Ham, publisher of the award-winning family magazine called Answers. In Acts 17, Paul preached a sermon to a group of Greek pagans, many of whom believed a form of evolution. He tells them, The one true God is Lord of heaven and earth, gives us life and breath and everything else, and has made every person from one man. Now this contradicted the pagan origin story the Greeks believed. But Paul didn't mix the Bible's history with their pagan ideas like so many do today. He just taught what God's Word says. Paul believed the history in Genesis and understood the theology grounded in that history. Because we're all from one man who sinned, we're all sinners and all need the Saviour, Jesus Christ. Get equipped to think biblically when you visit us at AnswersRadio.com and listen to this program again, share it, or view a complete transcript when you visit us at AnswersRadio.com.
of the world. This is Ken Ham, CEO of the Global Apologetics Ministry of Answers in Genesis. Romans chapter 1 tells us that God is clearly seen in what he's made. Indeed, those who reject God are without excuse. It's so obvious from creation there's a creator. Now it's worth noting that the Apostle Paul says the witness of creation has been going on since the creation of the world. Many Christians say God created over millions of years. But that not only contradicts Genesis, it goes against passages like this one that say that people have been around since the beginning of creation. Those who add millions of years into the Bible, well, they're without excuse for their compromise. For God's Word has made the true history of the universe so clear. Discover answers to your questions and receive encouragement at AnswersRadio.com. And check out our streaming platform of Answers.tv when you visit AnswersRadio.com. Yeah. He made us all, yo. Yeah. God made us all, yo. God made me and you. Sing, children. No, we He did it to show off his glory and worth. In Genesis 1, what we see in each verse is God made a world that is truly diverse. From icebergs to insects, tornadoes to trees. From lions to lizards, flamingos to fleas. Each in their own way that God they are praising. The differences cry out. God is amazing. But the crown jewel of the work of his hands are made in his image, both woman and man. We're not accidents, we are part of his plan. Yup, God made me and you. Let's go. is different, unique in their frame. God made them all, each kind and each sport. He made some people tall and some people short. Dark skin, light skin, and all in between. In each color and shade, his beauty is seen. The Lord knows the number of hairs on your head. Whether brown or black, whether blonde, gray or red. What some call ethnicity and others call race. We should celebrate as a gift of God's grace. You're wonderfully made from your feet to your face. Yup, God made me and you. Let's go. Yeah. We all different. God made me and you. God made us all. God made me and you. 
cross, we see what God's love is about. There's no type of person that Jesus left out. Because Jesus died and rose from the grave, all those who trust in the Lord will be saved. In the book of Revelation, chapter number 7, the church from all times is gathered in heaven. Each tribe and people, language and nation, all thanking God for the gift of salvation. Together, forever, with saints of all kinds, through each the glory of the Lord's going to shine. This is exactly what God has designed. When God made me and you, let's go.
a groaning creation. This is Ken Ham inviting your family to visit our massive Noah's Ark south of Cincinnati. Romans chapter 8 describes creation as groaning, and that's certainly true. Death, disease, natural disasters and war ravage the earth and those who live here. Yes, there's still beauty in creation, but it's marred by sin and death. But why? Well, the Apostle Paul tells us God subjected creation to futility. It's not the way God originally intended for it to be. And he promises someday creation will be set free from this bondage. Now, for those who believe in millions of years, creation, in that view, has always been this way. In a biblical view, creation was perfect, broken by sin, and will someday be restored to what it was originally. Plan your visit to the full-size Ark at the Ark Encounter, where children 10 and under are free this year. Go to AnswersRadio.com and listen to this program again at AnswersRadio.com. So strong. God is the ruler. 
Without hope, this is Ken Ham, author, speaker, and blogger on science and the Bible's reliability. In his first letter to Corinthians, Paul grounds the gospel in real history. He says, if Christ didn't die and was not actually raised back to life, then our faith is useless and we're without hope. And Paul connects the historical reality of the resurrection back to Genesis. He says that just as the first Adam sinned and brought death, so the last Adam, Jesus, brings a resurrection of the dead and life. Paul also says that death is the last enemy. Death as an enemy is an intruder into God's once very good creation. Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, clearly taught a historical Adam and Genesis and grounded the Christian faith in that history. Subscribe to receive free daily email insights from Ken Ham when you visit AnswersRadio.com. And listen to this program again or view a transcript at AnswersRadio.com.
Furthermore, racism is blasphemy. It's a fish shake to God. You did not do a good job with that person. You did fine with me, but not with them. Racism is a wicked sin, and you and I cannot seem to eradicate it. But God can, God does, and God will. Here's the conclusion of covenantal time. When God gathers all of his elect together, and you look out and you see this gift to the Son, the bridegroom, the Lord Jesus Christ, this great big collective bride, you're going to see different skin colors. You're going to see rich and poor. You're going to see slave and free. Those those color distinctions, they're, they're not gone. The different tongues, they're, they're not gone. We recognize that they're still there, but we recognize... There was a purpose to these things. Why is there different skin color? Why are there different ethnic groups and levels of socioeconomic structures? Why? Because you and I can't bring them together. But God can, God does, and God will. Don't you see what he's doing don't you see the goal that he is after? And he is going to bring it to conclusion. What you and I cannot accomplish through whatever social justice measures, whatever sort of programs we try to put in place to just get everybody to love one another, we can't get it done. But God does so that Jesus Christ can receive the full reward for his suffering. That is covenantal time. And that is the problem with social justice concepts, critical race theories. It just aims too low. What does social justice tell us is the biggest problem on the planet? Oppression, that there are oppressors and there are oppressed. And the greatest thing we can accomplish is removing that oppression. That's the greatest thing? Oppression is a terrible thing when it's wicked, and removing it is good. But it's nowhere near the great grand thing that God is doing through covenantal time. And so my plea with you, if you have been occupied with temporal social justice ideas, you are well motivated, you have a compassionate heart, you have a desire to right a wrong, but that is not the big thing have you forgotten covenantal time? That is from Wretched, and you can see it on Wretched's YouTube page as W-R-E-T-C-H-E-D, and then also they have website Wretched.org, which has their, that's the, from the TV show, and then also they have a radio show. So check that out at Wretched.org. Let's see now what we got for you is gonna play a song. Here you go. In him we hide 
kick it old school. We 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 kick it old school. Come on, come on, gonna miss the latest craze. Hit it for a minute, then it's on to the next phase. Easy come, easy go, the marketers will hack it. The only change that comes, winds up in a pocket. Remember, by sending us your email, you give us permission to read it on the air. 
So write us at truthbetoldradioshow at gmail.com. If you'd like to read blogs, we've got you covered. Check out ours at truthbetoldradio.blogspot.com. That's truthbetoldradio.blogspot.com. Also, follow us on Twitter as Truth, the letter B, then Told Radio. That is T-R-U-T-H-B-T-O-L-D-R-A-D-I-O. Once again, that is Truth, the letter B only, not B-E, Told Radio. This is due to the restraints for Twitter's username link. Finally, to learn the testimony of Melissa Canchoa, the hostess of Truth Be Told Radio, see smilesandstuff.com. That's S-M-I-L-E-S-A-N-D-S-T-U-F-F dot C-O-M. Smilesandstuff.com. So stay social with us, and thanks for listening to Truth Be Told Radio. I really hope you hear my heart When thinking about describing you I really don't know where to start Can't start at the beginning Cause you are before the beginning Way before the beginning And this fallen world's distorted opinions It was just the holy trinity Ruling from infinity Glory blazed tremendously Loving one another endlessly Billions and billions of years ago Outside of what we know as time Nobody else was there to know But Lord, here's the thing that blows my mind As long ago as that was Long ago as that was, you have not changed, Lord, oh Lord, 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 as long ago, as long ago, as long ago as that was, you're still the same, you have not changed, what can that mean, but my God is immutable, immutable, you are beautiful, you never change, you remain the Beautiful, beautiful You never change, never change Forever you reign, you remain the same You will never change, you will never change Beautiful, beautiful You never change, never change I was thinking just the other day How you reign supreme by far Not just because of what you do But simply because of who you are There's none like you in existence You are God and you need no assistance Even though we show you resistance You sent Jesus to close the distance That existed between God and man According to your sovereign plan We changed many times in one lifespan I've changed even since this song began Lord, I'm so glad that you're not like us All that you do will certainly last You are the rock that we can trust Shows us back in eternity past As long ago as that was as long ago as that was, you have not changed, Lord, oh Lord, Lord, Lord. As long ago, as long ago, as long ago as that was, you're still the same, you have not changed. What can that mean, but my God is immutable. Immutable, you are beautiful, you never change, you remain the same. Beautiful, beautiful, you never change, never change, forever you reign, you remain the same, you will never change, you will never change, 
about my ups and downs, all of my inconsistencies, all of my idiosyncrasies. Still you pursue relentlessly. At times I wonder how this can be. Surely it's because of the cross. When Jesus paid the full penalty and bore the burden of sin's great cost. I'm saved by grace and faith in God. I look to Christ and I trust he died. So even though I'm being sanctified, I can't be any more justified. His work is finished that cannot change. And with this knowledge I am free. Forever this grace it will remain because of what happened on Calvary. As long ago as that was. Long ago as that was, you have not changed, Lord. Oh, Lord, Lord, Lord. As long ago, as long ago, as long ago as that was, you're still the same. You have not changed. What can that mean? But my God is immutable. Immutable, you are beautiful. You never change, you remain the Revolutionary theme music The brothers from the Lou held it down 
as well But we noticed a big shift in 2012 Around the time Jackie asked me about Calvinism Christian hip-hop found a different algorithm And crossed over without taking the crossover Made us all sober years later, is it all over? Trip asked me if I was still motivated I was quiet, but I wanted to say no, I hate it Cause brothers in your camp causing lots of confusion I love them as brothers in Christ, but not their conclusions They want to reach the world by all means, keep pursuing it But tell me, why they gotta diss the church while they doing it? That's what I wanted to say, but I ain't say it though But no more laying low, I want them to play it slow And I ain't dissing them, my prayers are the proof Like Boaz without Ruth is unity without truth CHH is like gorillas in the mist With no brotherly love, it's like Philly don't exist What's happening here? It's a different atmosphere Cats appear most concerned about a rap career Brothers overseas being slain in the sand While we're vain in our plan, taking fame and some fans And I ain't got time to philosophize, Satan got a plot device I'm seeing lots of guys apostatize On top of all that, Donald Trump's the president It's all good though, cause Jesus Trump's the president So more than ever, I'm trying to rep the Lord who bled And we ain't never gonna stop working the Corey Red. I'm just trying to give a healthy demonstration of theocentric music for the selfie generation. See, the problem is sin, no riddle in it. Cause all sin got I in the middle of it. We're mad to praise and truly evil. We need to be born again without a Matt Damon movie sequel. In the gospel, God addresses our depravity. The lamb slain at Calvary, the depths of his agony. He rose from the grave with abundant grace. And when we come in faith, he'll bring us up from the sunken place. Our sins decrepit, depths left the mess. No rest was left till Jesus put death to death. The beauty of the victory truly is a mystery. The cross of Jesus Christ is at the nucleus of history. Before the cross, they were saved on credit. After the cross, we've been saved on debit. Since our champion in the great war suffered, we gonna proclaim his death like the Lord suffer. So welcome to the Still Jesus Project. Yo, we just getting started and we got a lot left. Let me start this off with a hallelujah to Jesus, the sovereign ruler. This is not a rumor. Got the truth, so we about to school you. Check out a style maneuver. Shout it to you like the loudest roofers. Christ put us up from out the sewer. We don't have to doubt the future. Crashing our verses as we bask in his worship. You asking the purpose, partly to fetch hats from the furnace. To Jesus' extravagant service, immaculate purchase. He was smashing the serpent, and we only scratching the surface. He's the seed that was conceived in the womb of a virgin. The sun emerges in the manger while the angels serenade him. It's the birth of the Savior, the greater Andy. Came a man, came as a lamb, and would be executed to execute the plan to substitute the sand. In the place of the wicked on the cross, he was lifted, but we considered him stricken and afflicted, just like the prophets predicted. He came at the proper moment to stop his opponent and lay down his life to offer atonement. He's the most magnificent, the total antithesis of insufficient, the blessed, the glorious, splendid, transcendent, difficult to comprehend, independent of space and time, but presently present, suspending the heavens with speech. From coast to coast, he speaks peace to wind and seas, got heavenly hosts easily. Posted on bended knees, controls the cosmos with the most authority. So we both in the most exalted King Christ the priest. He's the sovereign thriller, the awesome healer, the law fulfiller, the solemn killer, the fraud revealer. No God is realer, yeah. We can take any time in the scripture. Put your gate into prominent picture. See his light shining bright in the night, and it's bright in the might in the diamond mixture. See his name at all the renown, though. When he came for the law, city found low. He was tamed and floss all around, but remained for the manger, the cross, or the clown. Yo, Satan had a choke hold on him. Fight for the rope, but dope and then. All to the eyes of the S to the E to the end. That's what we hoping in. Written on it's spell check, the risen king can rinse clean the most rebellious. I was hell bound, now I'm spellbound. Word is born, I'm a bond servant to the word of life. Uh, call me a 
sell out our spot with a price. We got a hope that won't fail us when we return to the dust. We will rise up just like the one who justified us. It's not wishful thinking when the truth sinking. We are clinging to the promises that God bringing an everlasting kingdom. Nothing can compare to the worth of what we inherited. Nothing in heaven on earth can measure what Christ merited. The skies declare the affairs of his glorious care. The God who is there, who's aware, who delights in our prayer. His purposes are permanent and perfectly proportionate. Everything that orbits around his glory subordinate. He is the most excellent one. Intrinsic, infinite son. Preeminent, the name par excellence. Prenom, phenomenon. He's beyond phenomenon. You see the fiber of cosmology. The abba of astronomy. He's part of we of pottery. It's shocking Jesus died for me. The father, he adopted me and constantly provides for me. Whether or not I got degrees, you gotta see his odyssey. From sovereignty and lottery to poverty and robbery to resurrected bodily. Apocalyptic prophecy. He's stopping all the mockery and scholarly snobbery that don't acknowledge him properly. You ought to be on bended knee before the preeminent. It's awfully arrogant to reject him to your detriment. Study the development from Old and New Testament. You'll find a theme that's prevalent from age to age. It's relevant. Crisis on its center stage. Forget religious sentiments that center on man. But something less is what you're settling. He is the most excellent. Exercising benevolence and blessing a remnant with the benefits of his inheritance. Yeah. The sin of sinners that separated and segregated that severed the relations between man and his maker and placed Christ on his costly cross and compensated his life, death, and resurrection emancipated and gave us freedom from it all, freedom from the effects of the fall, freedom from Adam and Eve in the garden of Eden and from the law. So the saints stand and applaud his grace and glorious cause with hands raised, praising his name, singing glory to God. <laughs>